Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. So the no millennial position says that there is no literal thousand year reign of Christ on the earth over the nation of Israel with a restored people in the land and a restored temple and a restored priesthood and a restored sacrifice and and all of those things. That's all just figurative language. And like I said, it it generally just means that we're going to worship God forever. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All right. Now, let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 40. And we're going to finish the book of Ezekiel. And so we're going to go through to the end of the book, 40 through 48. And we're we're going to do it a little bit differently because what I'm, I'm just going to start off and I'm going to read a number of passages to us right through the end. And it won't be a ton of reading, but I've, I've highlighted some verses along the way. This is one of those sections where there's so much detail. There are so many different uh, aspects to what's being talked about here that it would be really tedious to read through it all. But I just want to touch on some of the highlights, and then we're going to look at kind of the big picture of what is happening here. So chapter 40, I'll just, I'll just pick up in verse one, go through a few, few verses here. Okay, but remember this. So we looked at chapters 37, 38, and 39. Remember, we saw the, we saw the restoration of Israel uh, to the land after many, many centuries of desolation to the point where uh, the nation was viewed as just this valley of these dry bones, And the situation was so dire that the prophet didn't see how it could possibly change unless God did something. And so we saw how the Lord, you know, brought things back together, took those bones and assembled them, and then put the muscle and the sinew and the flesh. And then how um, the Lord said, this is the whole house of Israel. And so... That was chapter 37. Then we saw that in chapter 38 and 39, there are these massive forces that come against the nation attempting to destroy it. And the Lord, through all of this, through restoring the people to the land and through destroying this and these invading armies, because there's more than one, the people are then reconciled to God. They're brought back into the covenant with God. They're now all of the past, all of their rejection uh, of God and their rejection by God, all of that is over. And so now we come to the the kingdom. And like, like I said, because we talked last week about the timing of this battle, we talked about the different views about, you know, who's involved in it and when it might take place. And I told you my, my view, my conviction is that this is the Old Testament description, one Old Testament description, but a pretty detailed one 
perhaps the most detailed one, of what we have in the New Testament known as the Battle of Armageddon. And there's a number of reasons that I pointed out why I think that's the case, but one of the main reasons is because what immediately follows this battle is the same thing that follows the battle of Armageddon. And what is that? The Lord returns and he sets up his kingdom on the earth. And that's what we have here as we enter into the 40th chapter. We are now entering into what we would commonly refer to as the kingdom age. And so in the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year on the 10th month, in the 14th day after the fall of the city, On that very day, the hand of the Lord was on me and he took me there. So this is a common thing, right, that we've seen with Ezekiel where he has these these visions. He's transported in a vision. He's in Babylon, but he's transported by the Lord back to the land of Israel. And now this is happening once again. So in visions... Visions of God, he took me to the land of Israel, set me on a very high mountain on whose uh, south side were some buildings that looked like a city. He took me there and I saw a man whose appearance was like bronze. He was standing in the gateway with a linen cord and a measuring rod in his hand. The man said to me, son of man, look carefully and listen closely and pay attention to everything I'm going to show you for that is why you have been brought here. Tell the people of Israel everything that you see. And so as we carry on, he sees the east gate of the outer court, then he's shown the north gate of the outer court, the south gate. He's shown the gates to the inner court. He's shown the the preparation rooms. He's shown the rooms for the priest. And all the way down in verse 44, it says outside the inner gate with the inner court were two rooms, one at the side of the north gate and facing south and another at the side of the south gate and facing north. He said to me, The room facing south is for the priests who guard the temple. And the room facing north is for the priests who guard the altar. These are the sons of Zadok, who are the only Levites who may draw near to the Lord and minister before him. Now, let's jump over to chapter 43. Verse one, then a man brought me to the gate facing east. Now, so what, what he's seen so far, just let me clarify. What he's seen so far is that the, the temple has been, the temple and the city have been restored. And so now, as we come to chapter 43, he is going to witness the return of the Lord's presence And so a man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of the Lord, the God of Israel, coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. The vision I saw was like the vision I had seen when he came to destroy the city 
and like the visions I had seen by the Kibar River, and I fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now, he's saying this, this is similar to what I saw before. What did he see before? He saw the same thing in the opposite direction. So he was taken to Jerusalem before, and here he's seeing the presence of the Lord restored to the temple. There in chapter 10, he saw the presence of the Lord depart from Jerusalem. And so now he's seen everything reversed, everything brought back with the Lord's presence there. Verse six, while the man was standing beside me, I heard someone speaking to me from inside the temple. He said, son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites forever. Wow. So this is obviously the voice of the Lord speaking to him from the temple. This is the the place of my throne. Now, over in chapter 44, the general theme of the chapter is the restoration of the priesthood. So we have the restoration of the city, we have the restoration of the temple, and now we have the restoration of the priesthood in chapter 44. Let me read from verse 10. The Levites who went far from me when Israel went astray and who wandered from me after their idols must bear the consequences of their sin. They may serve in my sanctuary, having charge of the gates of the temple and serving in it. They may slaughter the burnt offerings and sacrifices for the people and stand before the people and serve them. But because they served them in the presence of their idols and made the people of Israel fall into sin, therefore I have sworn with uplifted hand that they must not, or that they must bear the consequences of their sin, declares the sovereign Lord. They are not to come near to serve me as priest or come near any of my holy things or my most holy offerings they must bear the shame of their detestable practices. Verse 15, but the Levitical priests who are descendants of Zadok and who guarded my sanctuary when the Israelites went astray from me are to come near and minister before me. They are to stand before me to offer sacrifices of fat and blood, declares the sovereign Lord. They alone are to enter my sanctuary. They alone are to come near my table to minister before me and to serve me as guards. So just keep that in mind. The, only the uh, priest of Zadok. Now, in chapter 45, I just want you to see just, uh, just one thing here. Verse 17, it will be the duty of the the prince to provide burnt offerings, grain offerings, drink offerings at the festivals, the new moons, and the Sabbaths. At all the appointed festivals of Israel, he will provide the sin offerings, grain offerings, burnt offerings, and fellowship offerings to make atonement for the Israelites. Now, chapter 47. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold 
of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through the water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through the water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty waters become fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from in Gedi to in Igelim, there will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea, but the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. The fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. This is what the sovereign Lord says. These are the boundaries of the land that I will divide among the 12 tribes of Israel as their inheritance. And then in chapter 48, we have the division of the land and the naming of the tribes, Dan, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Ephraim, Reuben, Judah. Then down in verse 11, this will be for the consecrated peace, uh, priest, the Zadokites, who were faithful in serving me and did not go astray as the Levites did when the Israelites went astray. And for the rest of the tribes, Benjamin, We'll have a portion, Simeon, Issachar, Zebulon, and Gad. And then the final verse. And the name of the city from that time on will be the Lord or Yahweh is there. So there's so many things here that are fascinating. Um, hard to know where to start. But here's what I wanted you to note. Note that there is a temple. There is a priesthood. There are sacrifices. There are festivals and holy days. 
all the tribes of Israel will receive their allotted land. Nature is healed, as we see through this whole thing about the river flowing down to the Dead Sea. Nature is healed and provides healing. And the Lord is there in Jerusalem sitting upon the throne. So this is what the Bible refers to in another place, Revelation chapter 20. This is what the Bible refers to as the thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, in the book of Revelation, we're told in the 20th chapter six times about this thousand-year reign of Christ. And yet in the book of Revelation, there's really not much detail that's given to us about it. It just says it, you know, like I said, six times over, uh, they shall live and reign with him a thousand years and he reigned a thousand years and so forth. Um, But again, little to no detail about exactly what that's going to look like. Now, the reason, one of the reasons for that, I think, is because those details are spelled out in other places in the scripture, particularly in the prophets. So in the prophets, uh, beginning with Isaiah, for example, we have these passages that talk about nature being healed and restored. We have you know, the, the lion eating straw like the ox. We have little children playing over the, uh, the, the cobra's den and nobody's getting hurt. We have rivers in, in the desert and flowers blossoming forth. And, you know, there, there's all of these pictures, Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah chapter 35, Isaiah chapter 65. There are all these pictures of this restored. So through the prophets, we, we see um, how, how nature is going to be healed. And then here through Ezekiel, we see some more detail about what's happening more specifically with the people in the land at the time. Now, I do believe that is what's happening, but it is not without its problems. And so let's talk about the problems with that view. Now, the problem, the problems are, well, there's, there's one main problem. And the main problem would be, how do we really get our heads around the idea that, that sacrifices are going to be reinstated. I mean, because, you know, if we would have read in more detail, I mean, we're talking about uh, lambs being offered as sacrifices, blood being shed, sacrifices for sin being made. So remember, if, if our understanding is correct, we, we're looking at this as something that's yet future and Christ has already come and Christ has offered the ultimate sacrifice for sin. So some would say that you can't take these types of passages literally. 
that you you know you you can't take it at face value. You've got to understand that it it must be. You have to understand it more spiritually than literally. And so, if you consider it that way, what might it mean? Well, it. It could just be, and here's where what, what happens if you take that approach. If you take a non-literal approach, then you are going to have to, in some ways, it's going to have to be generalized because the details, which are many, apparently aren't significant, and you just kind of have to draw a general conclusion from it. So what general conclusion might we draw from this if this is not literal? Well, it would just be describing in familiar terms that the saints will engage in the worship of God into eternity. So that, that is how it would be understood by those who do not believe that this is uh, to be taken literally. Now, since, as I've already alluded to, the New Testament tells us that Christ offered one sacrifice for sin forever, that does pose a problem to think that these could be literal sacrifices for sin in the future. This would even come close in some people's mind to blasphemy because then what, then what you end up saying is that you're, what you're really saying is that the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary did not do what the scriptures plainly said it did do, which means it was a one-time atonement for sin. Now, many good people throughout a very long history have opted for that view over the literal understanding. Because for them, it was just, well, look, you know, whatever this means, uh, we don't know. But what we do know is that in the New Testament, it's clear that Christ offered one sacrifice for sin forever. So there, there can't be any further sacrifices for sin. This, this view has a, a theological name, and that theological name is amillennialism, or if you're British, it's amillennialism, and the AA, it just simply means no millennium. So millennium means thousand years. So the no millennial position says that there is no literal thousand year reign of Christ on the earth over the nation of Israel with a restored people in the land and a restored temple and a restored priesthood and a restored sacrifice and, and all of those things. That's all just figurative language. And like I said, it, it generally just means that we're going to worship God forever, but uh, there is no 1,000 year reign of Christ. And in Revelation chapter 20, the six times that it refers to the 1,000 years, 1,000 there doesn't mean literally 1,000. It's just an indefinite period of time and 1,000 is a long number, so it's just a way of describing an indefinite period of time. And as I said, this view has been held by many for a very, very long time. Now, the other view, the view that would take it literally, is called premillennialism. And premillennial, so amillennial means no millennium, 
And, and what that means is that there, there, there is just, again, there's, there's no like thousand year reign before Christ comes back. There's a belief that Christ is gonna come back, but there is no reign over Israel as a distinct people. For the month of November, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled One Minute Answers to Skeptics, Concise Responses to the Top 50 Objections and Questions by Charlie Campbell. Learn how to give a defense for the faith in a conversational style and strengthen your own confidence in the existence of God and the reliability of the Word. The book One Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ezekiel. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.